Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it's a pleasure to have a, uh, well, I guess if I say very old friend, it makes us old, but... <laughs> But a very good friend. We, we, we've known each other a very long time. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Steve yeah. Rosenbaum, who's a co-director of a film called The Outsider. And we're going to take a break for this uh, short message. And when we come back, we'll explain what it's all about. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at JATQ Podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is Steve Rosenbaum, the co-director of the film The Outsider. And uh, no, it's not a, a not an S.E. Hinton book. It's 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 a documentary. And I guess the, the question, since this is Just Ask the Question, Steve, is why do we give a shit about a 9-11 Memorial Museum? <laughs> yeah, um, we, we don't. Um, okay. We give a shit about America and democracy and COVID and 20 years of wars and Donald Trump. And the question is, does this piece of earth in New York, uh, is, is it the moment that the 20 year kind of spiraling downward disaster that is the last 20 years of American history begins? And, and how did my wife and co-director and I end up in the middle of it? And um, what I'm going to share with you is a story that um, has some twists and turns and ends up uncovering some things about 9-11. And I don't mean conspiracy things. I mean, things that are out in the open um, right. th that, that really deserve fixing and could be fixed. Well, let's start with uh, how you began, and then we'll talk about what needs to be fixed. But tell me about the movie, how it started, and where you got to where you are now. All right, so I'm going to give your audience a very short version because the, the stuff from 20 years ago is only moderately interesting. But uh, on September 11th, my wife and I owned and were running a what was then a big television production company in New York. And we saw the first building get hit. And we said to seven filmmakers who we were working with that day, we're going to cover this thing. We went downtown. We shot all day. We ended up shooting for a week we put an ad in the village voice, got a lot of footage and made a film called seven days in September. Um, very proud of it. Good film. Um, along the way, we ended up scooping up all this footage um, to make the film. 
And then the New York Times called and a reporter said to us, we hear you own the world's largest archive of 9-11 video. We don't really think of ourselves that way, but so they did a story, which if you Google it, we're in the New York Times is owning the world's largest archive of 9-11 video. Um, and that got our phone ringing from these people that were claiming to build a museum. We'd never heard of them. We didn't know what they were talking about. They called and called and called. We need your footage. We need your footage. We need your footage. Uh, and I mostly hung up on them. Um, make a long story short, they convinced us that this museum was going to be this really important center of American history. Uh, it was going to be the thing where people came to think about 9-11 in thoughtful ways. And so we made this decision to donate what was then 500 hours of footage wow. to the museum. We're the largest donor to the museum, single largest donor of archival material. And the only thing we asked, we didn't get paid, we didn't look for any money. We asked that they give us permission to make a film about the construction. And, and I got to be honest, I didn't think much about it. I mean, I thought big construction project, interesting, special access. We live in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Won't, won't take much time. We'll just zip down there with a camera every now and then. Um, you know, it was meant to be kind of in the Al Maisel's observational documentary, Cinema Verite. Right. So we weren't, we weren't reporting the story. We were observing the story. Um, they gave us keys to the building. They gave us an office and, you know, very quickly it became clear that this thing they were building was going to be a great big gnarly complicated story. And so we just, we just kept spending money on it for what amounted to eight years. Um, and as you know, having been a reporter your whole life, <laughs> when you let journalists into your world long enough that they, you know, they, they, they think you're with the band if you hang around long right. enough backstage. And so yeah. they just let us into everything. Um, and some of it was construction stuff, you know, which steel are we buying and where is it going to go? And some of it was the story itself. But a lot of the meetings were pretty revelatory. In what about, way? Um, it wasn't so much the story they were going to tell as the stories they weren't going to tell. Which were? Um, well, I should ask the question of you and your listeners. Have you ever been to the museum? No, I have not. And so I, I, so I, I'm coming at it completely fresh. So or that's not, so it's not an accident that you haven't been there. No, um, it, it's not an accident that I haven't been there. I, I've wanted to actually, I've wanted to go, but, um, when COVID hit and we didn't go. And so we had yeah. been in New York. But 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 it's different than that. And when I, I ask that question 50 times a week to people, and they always answer it the same way you did. With a little bit of guilt and a little bit of like, oh um I have no not, guilt. Yeah, well, you're not invited. The answer is you're not invited. Ah. You have to be invited to go there. No. But I mean, you know. There are places that reach you through social media or advertising or your friends say, hey, I had this amazing experience. You should go see this right. play or watch this movie. You're not invited because it wasn't built for you. Who was it, wasn't it built, built for? for? Tourists. And so when I ask you what, what, what stories didn't they tell, what stories didn't they tell? Um, 
So it turns out that what we were promised early on, which was this frothy discussion about America and its history and the future and how 9-11 happened and kind of the, the complexity of 9-11 right. has all been replaced by this very simple, um, rather nationalistic, um, uh, there's a whole community that would argue Islamophobic um, and, and pretty uh, difficult place to experience. Um, family members who I now know a lot of them, who are the families of people who died on 9-11, uh, almost without question don't like it. They don't like, I mean, it, you know, it's been called Disney, you know, it's the Disneyfication of 9-11. Wow. Um, yeah, which is gruesome. And, and the question is, how did that happen? So the film, tell well, about the film. Before we get yeah. to how that happened, yeah. what do you think the museum should be? And if you think it's a Disney ride, I, I guess is the best way to put it. What do you think that museum should have been? What were you participating in that you thought was going to occur? So, you know, 9-11 is a critical moment in American history. Um, it began certainly in, in at the 93 bombing of, right. of the arguably before that, it has very complicated roots back to the Saudis and oil and power and where America sits in the world. And when you simply say bad people didn't like us and flew planes into buildings, you, you what what you're doing is essentially, you know, it's like saying, you know. Turned Hitler it into a cartoon. A, yeah, Hitler was a bad man who did bad things. Well, okay, yeah, <laughs> right, true, but, but. <laughs> yeah, can but we there's explain all kinds a little of, bit? <laughs> yeah, um, and and the museum. So so the museum. Well, you said. I, well, I wanna, let me go back to something that yeah. you said. You said some people said it would be Islamophobic. In your opinion, is it Islamophobic? Oh, absolutely. In what way? Um, there's a film in the museum called The Rise of Al-Qaeda. Um, in, our, in our film, there's about a four-minute scene where you see that film being written. Um, um, Islamic scholars from across all kinds of different universities and thinkers and feel like the film essentially equates Islam and terrorism casually and consistently throughout it. Wow. Um, the museum refuses to speak to these critics. Um, we have two hours of footage of this film being discussed. We asked the museum if we could release it to a scholar who reached out to us uh, and they said no. Wow, because they didn't want, the, um, what does your film show those two hours of footage? It shows, a, I mean, uh, so I have to be careful here. One of the things about archives that I've come to understand is you don't collect them or protect them for yourself. True. You assume that historians 20 years hence or 200 years hence or 50 years hence will see things in the material that you can't see because we're too close to it. And so I'm interested in what people of the Muslim faith 
see, particularly scholarly people of the Muslim faith, see when they see these museum officials who are not scholars making decisions about how to, you know, I mean, it would be like saying um, the IRA uh, represents all Catholics in, in the world. I mean, they don't even represent all of Irish Catholics in the world. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, so so the given the given the footprint of the Muslim faith on the planet, which is enormous and significant right. and and by and large peaceful to equate that religion with terrorism casually um, is either sloppy or worse. And I think I can make the argument worse and purposeful, but we'll get there in a minute. Okay. So um, you had spent, let me, cause I've been digging, yeah. I, I want you to tell your story, but I, I am digging yeah. in the, the, so you signed on for this. You were, you had offices, you were with them for years. You took all this archival video when, and so when did they open and when did you suspect that there was something amiss with the museum? So they opened in 2014 mm -hmm. and I presumed that we would make a film. And, and to be clear, we had shot 670 hours of footage. So I hadn't seen two thirds of it. I mean, we had, you know, we, it was coming in and being cataloged and being put in a drive, but nobody was, as the film was being recorded, was directing the journalism. It was being right. observed. So the day after the museum, so the, and the museum opened and we were there for opening day and our name is on the wall as the donors and we have all this kind of, and the next day, I just remember waking up and just not wanting to make the film. And I couldn't figure out why. I was like, maybe I'm tired. It's a little exhausting. You know, I've been watching 9-11 footage for eight years. So I gave myself a year. I said, I'm just going to take a year off. And I set it on the shelf. And then I came back and I started to look at the material again. And I still, I did, there was something about it that was just off. It just didn't feel like, like a museum with a happy, end, happy ending. And so I did this thing. We had five characters we followed through the whole process. And so we, I took just the, inter, we'd done a yearly interview, twice a year, sit down interview with each character. That was a couple of hours long. And so I just laid all that footage out end to end. And it was about 16, 17 hours of interviews. And I just watched them. And that helped me understand what had gone wrong. It started out that everyone was like, we're going to build this thing and it's going to be thoughtful and complex. And, and as it moved along, the, the story narrowed and became more about simplistic answers than complicated questions. And, you know, so the character that we've ended up focusing on and the film is about is a character named Michael Shulun. Um, he's the creative director of the museum. And he started out very optimistic. And then if you watch his interviews and you watch the film, and I hope your listeners will all, you know, go to iTunes or, you know, Amazon Video Direct uh, and watch the film, he becomes more disillusioned and more frustrated and more concerned. And by the end, essentially what he says is, I signed on to make a museum about questions 
and it ended up being a museum of simple answers. And so what questions, all right, the simple answers, we know bad people blew us up and we were innocent and not, you know, and we were, yeah. and, but what were the complex questions to, that he and you think should have been asked that weren't and have been ignored? It's a long, it turns out it's a long list. Um, Top and, five. So there's a piece of footage where the plane flies toward the second tower and turns and points its nose into the building. And I've seen it a thousand times. And I have the same reaction every time I see it. It's so, the precision of the flight is so gruesome. The I mean, you know, terrorism happens around the world. People drive truck cars into crowds and people blow themselves up wearing vests and people go in and stab people. But, but generally they're individuals who've been trained or who've chosen to do bad things. Right. The thing about this piece of footage is, and when you look at the way the planes all flew and how they all took off and how the planes were taken over, there's no doubt. And I don't think anyone who's listening to this would disagree with me that it was a military exercise. It was a well-planned, carefully executed, precisely delivered military exercise. And the question is, who's military? Like, this is, this is not a guy driving a car into a Christmas parade. Could you know, it not this have is, just been the Al-Qaeda military? That, I mean, they're pretty militant. Could it not have just been the terrorists? Or do you think there was a, a nation state behind it? I, you know, I don't want to claim that I know the answer to that question, but I think the fact that it hasn't been asked and that the museum hasn't struggled with that question, you know, is, is, is dangerous. And so let, let me get to the part where the film. Well, let me. OK, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I want to clear up one thing, because there are a lot of people who say, hey, it was a false flag. The American military was behind it. There's conspiracy. There's yeah. this. There's that. You're not going in that direction, are you? Are you? So. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, um, and I never have been, and I'm careful not to be. But I do become troubled when, for example, you know, Spike Lee releases a film about the last eight out, the last twenty years in American history, and in it there's a half hour about 9/11, um, and it lasts exactly. 45 seconds out in the public consciousness before the New York Times writes about it and HBO cuts the half hour out of it. And that footage has never been seen again. And what's when, in, and so what are you, what are you implying? Um, a, a strategic willful ignorance that comes from the very top that says, we do not discuss 9-11. Do you think that's because, because one of the things I find is, um, Whenever it comes, like with the death of Jamal Khashoggi, whenever there's the Saudi Arabians are involved, that government, we seem to turn a blind eye a lot simply because of the money and the influence that they have. Is it that? Well, um, so I have a theory. Hit me. Um, so you have to remember who is in charge 
in the days after September 11th. And they are. You're, you're... So in terms of the in terms of the site and its reconstruction, there's only one name. And it's Michael Bloomberg. Ah. And you know, I don't, you know, I I believe in the work he's doing with the with his philanthropy. And I think he's generally on the right side of issues that I care about. So I don't believe that he's a, you know, a, a nationalist or, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I think, I think, and I've heard this from some people inside the, at the time, but yeah, you know, you have to kind of, you have to decide if you like this as a thesis. So in the days after 9-11, Michael Bloomberg's a, a, a pretty uh, economic guy. He's a, he's a financial guy. Yes. I, and he, and he said in the New York Times, a year after 9-11, if it were my choice, I would build a school on the site. He said, I don't like to look backwards. So he looked at the buildings who, that had been taken down and he looked at the loss in, in New York City economic tax revenue, real estate taxes. And he said, don't build a cemetery there. Right. Because if we do, we can't rebuild, you know, the, the losses to the city were massive. Right. And he said, we need those buildings to have economic vitality. We need the, the lower Manhattan to come back to life. And so the original plan was put everything underground. Put the museum underground, put the names of the victims underground so that if you walk through it, it will feel bucolic. It will huh. feel like a public park. And we will be respectful to the families and we will have their museum will be underground and we'll have the names below the waterfalls. So the families sued and said, we don't want our names, the names underground. And okay. so the names, they won that lawsuit and the names were brought up to, to daylight. Um, but it's still, you know, it's a complicated place if you go there. Uh, yeah, it's, that's. Well, I, the last time I was there was a week after the, or two weeks after it occurred and they were still pulling wreckage out of there. So when I was there, yeah. but um, yeah, let's go yeah. back to the, the you, I said, just give me your five yeah. of questions. And we got to the point where you thought it was a military exercise and then we kind of detoured a, a bit, but yeah. what, else, what else do you think are, are, strikes you as uh, incongruous or the five questions, um, top five questions from it? Certainly the way that Muslims are portrayed um, is purposeful and and dis and disturbing. If you go there as a visitor, you'll find that the guidebooks are written in fifteen languages, everything but Arabic. Um, if you're a family member, it's impossible to go there. There are important there the 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 stories of people who died in the towers who were not American citizens is essentially invisible. Um, it, it is about white American nationalistic heroes with no history to speak of other than kind of this complicated whitewashed narrative and no future. So sitting there, if you go there today, nothing about Afghanistan, nothing about Iraq, nothing about, and there was supposed to be. No, there was, well, because yeah. the, the question, you know, if what is the museum going to be? Is it is it about that day only? Or do you put it in context with history? 
uh, I'm sure those were all or, the things that they they grappled with. As or, or is it or, or or is it a museum? Or is it even yeah? Is it is it a museum? Uh, my so, question I've always wanted to ask, and since you're closer to it than than I am, um, what I go back to that day. I always thought if they really wanted to you know, stick it to the terrace, they would just rebuild the trade centers and go, hey, screw you, we're still here. You know, put it back to the way it was. But that that was always just my way of flipping the bird to somebody who blew it up. But when you go back to it and you look at it and what happened that day, and you think it was military precision, and I, we all, world changed on that day in, in, in so many ways, as you said. Do you think that what happened that day has led to where we are now? Absolutely. How so? Well, you know, what, what it, it, again, we're talking about the terrorists, like there's some entity, but we don't can't find a mailing address for them. That, you know, what was the strategy of that day? It was to attack America and essentially set us against each other. It was to, it was to hurt America economically and also socially. And if you look at, you know, what what came out of that day is this drumbeat of we're afraid, we're afraid of the other, we're afraid of people with skin color different than ours, we're afraid of people that wear turbans, we're afraid of of you know, I mean, we the fear that we have, this idea that you know, in the days right after 9/11, there was an extraordinary, particularly in New York, extraordinary sense of solidarity. Yes, that's what I remember. The first few days was everyone coming together. Right not everyone being torn uh, yeah. apart, but right. that did not last. That did not last. So, so let me tell you the thing about the film that brings us to, I think where the museum shifts from being an accidental failure to maybe a strategic success. Okay. So we make this film and it's about Michael Schul and the outsider and our contract with the museum says explicitly that they can review the film before it's released for disparagement or security, if we release security information about the site. So we figure no problem, it's May of last year, May of this year, we send them off a copy of the rough cut and uh, they say, we're really busy planning for the 20th anniversary. Can this wait until next year? No. <laughs> so the next thing we get is a letter from their lawyer saying there are 57 scenes that have to be cut out. They have to be cut out? Yeah. <clears throat> and they gave you the list. Yeah, which I have and, and which what, we've shared. And what, in a nutshell, what did they want you to cut out? Um, it was, it was a, it was everything from, um, they, they didn't, they kept coming back to this word disparagement. The inst you're disparaging the institution. We're like, really? We don't understand that. So for example, Michael Shulin um, says, you know, as hard as it is to say, and this is a quote from him, there was a terrible beauty to the images that came out of that horrible day. Now, you may disagree with him. You may find that objectionable, but that's a quote. They said that has to come out. The phrase terrible beauty has to come out. And did they say that they said that disparaged the institution? Yes. So then right, they said, right, wait a minute. <laughs> how does that 
disparage anything. That's a description of what was there. You're not casting aspersions on anything. You're saying in your, I, I tell me how that was disparaging. Well, I mean, we, you know, we couldn't understand it. Um, and, and all of their claims were essentially that puzzling. Um, Michael talked about the bombing of, of in 93 as being the precursor to September 11th. They said that had to come out. Well, I covered that and also covered that for America's Most Wanted. And Al Fukra was behind uh, they, in the beginning. And we went up to upstate New York where they were training people that were part of that. Um, I remember that all so well. How can you not say that it was a precursor? That's, that's, it was. <laughs> I mean, that's a fact. So, so, um, so now we're stuck because they're essentially saying to us, if we release the film without cutting these scenes, they're going to sue us. For what? Um, for breach, breach of, of contract. contract. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we shared this information with a reporter who wrote a great big full page article uh, in the Daily News, essentially saying museum threatens to censor film. <laughs> Good headline. <laughs> and, and the museum's response by their spokesperson was the filmmakers see the world through a different ideological lens than the museum. What did you take yeah. that to mean? <laughs> that's, I'm, that's... An, I'm, a, I'm a writer my whole life. I write a lot and I'm a words person. And my first reaction was it was word salad. And I'm like, no, it's meaningful. And I, you know, I talked to a lot of people. I asked a bunch of smart people. It's an accusation to me. We decided the scariest thing about it was it sounded like a dog whistle to sick kind of the right wing attack dog posse on us. Well, to me, it sounds like an accusation that you're not on. Yeah, it is a dog. Patriotic. Whistle. You're yeah. not patriotic, that yeah. your ideology is anti-American because we're pro-American. We have to be pro-American. We're the ones who are making this museum to American fallen heroes. That, I, I mean, there's a lot of assumption in that, but that's exactly what that, that means. It, your ideology, was, did you ever ask them to explain what they meant by that? We did. And? They stood, they said, we stand by our statement. But they wouldn't explain what the hell the statement meant. No. Let me ask you this, so, I've known you so, a long time. I gotta yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah. I, as we sit here talking, I can sense, just knowing you, I can sense frustration with this entire situation. Is, is that accurate? Well, um, you know, if you're a journalist in your DNA, as we both are, you sense when you're on a story that's bigger than, you know, when someone sends you out to, to do a story on a house fire, and then you find that there have been 15 fires on the block, and there's a arson investigator who's got a pack of matches that he's holding. I mean, like it was, <laughs> yeah. cl it yeah. was clear that we were onto something that we hadn't, that we'd stumbled into. Um, so, so, so then the story gets a little bigger. Okay. Um, we get a call from a reporter who's asked us I'm not gonna, to share ask his to, name. I'm going to yeah. ask you to hold that thought. Cause we're going to take a short break and, and uh, you know, sell some time so we can pay the bills. <laughs> we'll, All right. We'll, we'll, and we'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. 
As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Fascinating story today from Steve Rosenbaum, who's co-director of Outsider, which is about the 9-11 museum. And I am going to pick up where we left off. You got a call from a reporter. This story got bigger. So take me there. So the reporter says, um, I'd rather not have my name associated with this, but I can tell you that when I was a graduate student, I went to do a story about the reconstruction of the World Trade Center and the museum sent me a contract that they wanted me to sign before they would give me access to their archive. And the contract said, everything gets reviewed by the museum before it can be published. They have the right to injunctive relief to stop me from publishing my, the- my this was his graduate thesis. Wow. Um, and um, it was, you know, essentially they could control what he wrote. So he showed it to his thesis advisor who said, you can't sign this. Um, and he didn't sign it. And so what, what we so now we've got them telling us we can't release our film. We've got a reporter telling us they've got this contract. So I go looking and I find the contract. And it turns out it's on their website. Holy. And it says any scholar who wants access to their archive has to agree that they control everything that's published. <laughs> so I'm not a museum professional, but I start speaking to museum people around the country to find out if I'm missing something here. Is there any museum I can find anywhere in America that has this policy? And it turns out the answer is no. In fact, the head of the Holocaust Museum, where Alice worked before she came to the 9-11 Museum, Alice Greenwald, says explicitly, you can show up at the Holocaust Museum and say, I believe the Holocaust didn't happen. And I want to come to your archives and research and write an article about the, fa- the false flag that is the Holocaust. And they will hand you the keys and bring you into the cubbies and give you their, they do not edit anything. And, and it turns out no one does. Well, that's a good thing. Well, because it's called history. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so um, we reach out to the museum and say, we are your largest donor of archival material and you're censoring our film and you're censoring scholars, we want our archive returned to us. And they send us a long lawyer letter and tell us to fuck off. Well, um, hopefully you, 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 you did have copies, right? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know well, you too well. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I mean, and we don't, they don't own it. They have the museum right. rights to it. Um, but, but here's where it gets interesting. So it's now September 9th. The film's coming out in a couple of days. One of the things about September 11th is it's a story with a very narrow window. It's like writing a story about Christmas in February. Nobody gives a, you know, I mean, right. like, like you have this tiny little window when people care about 9-11, which is like 9-8 to 9-11. 9-12, everyone's done. We're on um, to football. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or back to school or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, so we get a reporter from the Associated Press to call the museum and say, we're going to write a story about all of the museum people that think what you're doing is abhorrent. And the museum caves and says, um, we've reconsidered. And they say, we were keeping people's access to the archive limited because we didn't want the material used for misinformation. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Which means, wait, wait, let me get this straight. You're going to be the people to decide what's true what's or false. True and false, right. Yeah. Um, and so they said, we're going to now reconsider our scholarly access policy. And so the AP, so the AP writes that nothing changed. Yeah, nothing changes. Nothing changes. Um, but here's why Alice Greenwald resigning on Friday matters to your listeners. And that's before we. I was going to ask yeah. the question. Yeah, but yeah. You brought it up. Who is Alice Greenwald, and why is her uh, firing important? So loading that up. Tell us who she is and why she was fired, and why she's been. She's a scholar. Um, uh, she spent most of her career at the Holocaust Museum. She was recruited to be um, the museum director, not the CEO. Um, she began the job 16 years ago. Wow. Um, I've known her very, very well for many, many, many years and considered her a friend. Uh, I'm not sure that she considers me a friend today, but um, um, I don't think she's, I don't think she wears the black hat in this story. Um, she did what, you know, she did what she was told and the museum. I've, I've heard was, that going back to Hitler, but go ahead. <laughs> did what she, uh, I just. <laughs> I, no, but I mean, the museum was a chat. I mean, I think the decision that was made by Michael Bloomberg now, you know, almost 20 years ago to make the museum a private institution funded by ticket sales without being a federal museum or without any federal funds, um, put it on a track to be, um, you know, more of a tourist attraction than, than a museum. And so she was fired, why? Um, all we know is the press, all we know is what was in the New York Times on Friday. Um, um, she'd been there a long time. Um, the press that came out over the course of mostly August about the film was not complimentary. Um, not so much to her, interestingly, but to the museum itself. Right. Um, the, the film talks a lot about the limits on free speech. The fact that you can't, if you showed up at the memorial and brought a book of poetry and opened it and started reading it, uh, a police, a, a security guard would come over and put his hand on your shoulder and say, Mr. Karam, I'm sorry, but we don't allow public speech here. I'm like, well, it's about the 9-11. Well, you'll have to go somewhere else. And if you didn't, they would have you arrested. Oh, I've been arrested before. <laughs> yes, you have. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Uh, uh, I may do that just for the hell of doing it. <laughs> um, so, I press that envelope. <laughs> so, so, the, so the thing that we learned, um, so, but, but, but there's another name in the story. Is this the and black this is hat? Yeah, I think it is. Go for um, it. So in the days after 9-11, there were a handful of family members uh, who became very public about um, 
about Islam being responsible for uh, for it, for the attacks. Um, and they were purposefully or accidentally indiscriminate about defining Al-Qaeda versus Islam or Muslims versus Al-Qaeda. Um, there's a woman who you've never heard of. Her name is Deborah Burlingame. Um, she's very public neocon. Um, she's a uh, she attacked Bloomberg in the when Bloomberg supported the original Al Qaeda mosque, the the 9/11 mosque that was being built. She was front and center to get it stopped. Um, there was originally a museum at the site called the International Freedom Center. She attacked that viciously and got that stopped. Um, and when she was asked by Fox News three years ago how she would respond to being called uh, an Islamophobe, she said. I can't disagree with that. Wow. She was in front of Congress last week. I was at the White House, missed it. Uh, so <laughs> She was in front of Congress last week uh, asking for $5 million for the museum. For what purpose? To help fund its operations. So why do you say that... Um, firing Alice Greenwald was maybe a good thing. I, I guess you're in, up in the air about it, but you say it could be a good thing. So she has to be replaced. Ah. Um, and Michael Bloom, Bloomberg is the chairman of the board of the 9-11 Memorial Foundation. Um, the board seats, as best as we can tell, are for life. Um, there's no, there's, there are no Muslims on the board. There are very few people of color. There are very few people of, it is a white male group of bankers and, and, and real estate executives. You know, but, and I know you're not conspiracy minded, but everything that you're saying plays into those people. Well, some people, there's two different schools, well, maybe three or four different schools of thought on conspiracy, but some of the conspiracists who think it was a false flag operation, we did it to, and it was, you know, our, our, we were behind it for reasons that make no sense to me, but to them uh, denotes how we were trying to become nationalistic and take, you know, back America for white angry males. And then there's those who oh. think it was, it, it was a, a, a complete uh, bag job by the government to hide documents. And there's other people who think it was, you know, just straight up the, that all the terrorists are uh, Muslims and that they hate us and they're going to kill us. So, I mean, take it where you want. I, I, I think, so what I've come to believe is that 9-11 is unsettled history. Well, so is and the so, assassination for that. No, matter. no, but it's not, but it's <laughs> but not. No, I it's mean, not. You're right. I they, mean, different, different. It happened 20 years ago, not, you know, it's recent history. There's lots of questions. And whenever you ask any of them, as Spike Lee did, you're labeled a truther and essentially drummed out of, like, if you look at the drumbeat that is promoted by the museum, it's never forget. Right. Never forget, never forget, never forget. And if you then go one level below that and say, remember what? It's bad people did a bad thing and we're heroes. So and what was Spike's? I forget. Cause I know I, I read about it. What was the, the attack on Spike Lee's 
production. He brought on some conspiracy, some people that talked oh, about yes, the conspiracy seven. theories. But yeah. well, building building seven. I mean, yeah. there there's a reasonable conversation we had about why building seven fell down. And what's reasonable about the conversation? What what's the reason? Well, it didn't get it. it didn't get hit by anything. Right, and we were told it was damaged, and therefore that's why they brought it down. Well, they didn't say they brought it down. That's new information. Oh, and that and that's why it fell down. I'm sorry, they didn't bring right. it. Down. You're correct. Right. I mean, I, I don't look. I have no idea, and I've not studied Building Seven, and I lot, know lots of people who would like to, but I just think this this you know labeling reasonable people that want to have reasonable conversations truthers and making them like anyway long long and short of it is what the film revealed both in its making and then in the controversies that happened after it is that this place this word national let's it's called the national 911 museum mm -hmm. there's nothing national about it what it's is not it? a public museum it's, it's a private public. museum yeah. It's a private museum. So they've they've taken this piece of American history and they privatized it. It's and Wally I think that's World. Should, it is Wally World. So the question is, what will happen next? And how will Alice be replaced? And will that happen in a in the in a, the public view? Will there be a process? Will candidates be vetted? Will will the federal government say we're not giving you a dime until we understand how this institution operates and why scholars don't have a place to go and talk about 9-11. And I think that it could really trigger that. Well, it sounds to me like you think uh, Bloomberg might be one of the black cats or no. Accidentally. Okay. How so? Uh, I think he made a decision 20 years ago that there was nothing good. You know, he was the mayor of the city of New York mm -hmm. and he needed to repair a broken city. Mm -hmm. And New York didn't much want to be the center of tragedy and sorrow. And it's not really in the city's nature. And it, and it was going to make that smoking hole in the ground very difficult to repair. Right. And he I, said, I, that. I mean, if you go it. down there and try and take a picture of 9-11, there's nothing to photograph. No, there isn't. There's no, I've been, I have been down there. I take that back. I was a couple of years ago when my sons were in New York, I did go about down there. And it, first of all, it's really even hard to access the area. We couldn't get, you know, immediate access to it. And there's the new building that's down there. And so we took far off shots of it. So I, yeah, there's not a whole lot down there that celebrates what occurred or, or mem memorializes. I'd celebrate is a wrong word, but memorializes what occurred there. So I was interviewed by Reuters and we got permission to shoot on the site this summer. And the PR person went up to the Reuters videographer and said, would you please make sure to not allow anything in, in the background to be in focus? And the photographer said, what do you mean? And she said, uh, we don't want any of the names to be visible to the audience. <laughs> and he said, well, they're all public. And she said, the families prefer if the names are blurred out. Well, that's just not true. Yeah. It's just not true. I've talked to 50 families. Nobody feels that way. So why are you as an institution limiting filmmakers, limiting journalists, limiting access to the site? This is not an accident. No, it's being overprotective for a reason. Yeah. What do you think that reason is? Um, 
I think that twofold. Um, I think that the museum, you know, Bloomberg is wealthy as Crotius. He could say, I'm going to make the museum free and we're not going to have any ticket sales and you know, we'll just have it be a free institution. People can donate what they want. He hasn't done that. Um, and I don't understand why. I mean, there's no reason why New Yorkers should have to pay $26 to go to that museum. Well, that, dis- that'll keep me from going there right away. <laughs> yep. It's distasteful. Um, I think I think the decision was to make it be a period at the end of the sentence rather than a question mark. I get that. Do you do you think there's any chance that it would become a public museum instead of a private museum? Um, I'm an unfailing optimist uh, and have been my whole life. Uh, and I close my eyes and I see a future where it's a public museum. How do you think, what's the mechanism to getting there? And how long do you think it would take? So the operating budget for the museum is $60 million a year. Um, COVID has essentially had ticket sales fall off a cliff. Um, You know, Bloomberg's not a young man. So, you know, he's got to make an economic decision, which is, does he want his legacy to be funding this thing out of his, you know, his, you know, his estate? Or does he need to leave it in some economically reasonable hands? The federal government could absorb it in a heartbeat. Easily. And should. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, let, me, let me cut to this. What is um, two things? You say this has led to where we are today. Specifically, how so? And two... What do you think we should learn from 911 that we haven't learned? Um, I, I think if you ask your children or my children, anyone who's grown up who was 10 years old or older on September 11th, their entire lives have been living in a country that is under siege. You know, we we thank our troops. We 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 appreciate all of their sacrifice. They go off to fight in Afghanistan or Iraq. They we we sent them off on a you know to Iraq based on what turned out to be failed military intelligence. Um, a twenty year war is no joke. Well, um, but to interrupt you there, at my whole life is in yours. I can think of maybe two or three years in my entire lifetime where we weren't at war somewhere. I grew up in Vietnam and that was, that was off of a lie. We, you know, we, we've grown up with all of that. And the reason why I ask about what should we learn? One of the things that um, one of the sources I have, Mark Rossini, who was the liaison between the FBI and the CIA said the government knew from the very beginning before nine one one, this, this was going to occur, and they were yeah. so poor at communicating with one another, they did nothing about it. So I, I often wonder, whatever, what, you know, the conspiracy theorists, I don't know what happened to Building 7, you don't know what happened to Building 7, but we do know what happened that day, two planes flew into that. So that much we all know. But what we don't know, what I always say, you can, don't attribute to conspiracy 
with our government, which is horrible about conspiring to do anything, what you can attribute to uh, incompetency. And so I've always wondered if the, the thing to learn from 911 was just how freaking incompetent and how thinly veneered our society is and how we need to improve it. Does that? Uh, yeah, but, but, but let's be a little bit more. So, so let's remember that, let's, rem let's, let's now flash back to a name that has floated into the history books, Dick Cheney. Ah, yes. I mean, <laughs> in the days after 9-11, you know the so you know call it what you will the military industrial complex whether or not it was an whether or not it was willful willful ignorance or an accident or a mistake or sloppiness from the from that moment forward a whole series of opportunities to essentially militarize and you know you know we nobody took advantage reasonable. of the situation to yeah. militarize the united states nobody reasonable believes the way we're going to stop terrorism around the world is by sending troops out. I mean, it's, you know, they're, 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 they're not wearing a uniform. It's not like a military no. battle. Like, and my you know, question has always been with all the money that we spent in Afghanistan on war, what if we put it, that into roads, bridges, schools, markets, that, that that's yeah. a shitload of money that, you know, that you know, who wants to wage war with people that are making your standard of living higher. You usually yeah, no, want to no, wage no. war with people who are lowering, <laughs> so, who are oppressing. So, so here, so here, let me let me kind of bring this back full circle. You know, it's a lot of my friends say to me, Steve, why do you care about 9-11? It's a long time ago. We have bigger fish to fry. Let's worry about COVID. And I'm like, okay, medical people that I trust tell me if we'd gotten this country aligned around vaccines and didn't have this crazy split down the whatever it is, middle or third we would not be facing what we're facing today. And the data backs that up. Like the problem is the people who are preaching don't get the vaccine have all been vaccinated. You know, all of the people. I agree, yes, I know. So, so this sense of paranoia, this sense of fear, this, you know, the, the misinformation is all comes from this sense that we are in somehow at risk or in danger. And I think it would be worth and, and by the way, the thing about the museum having a next iteration right. is, you know, if you go there and someday you will, you'll find it terrifying. You'll leave scared and sad. Why is that, the, why is that an institution's outcome? As opposed to understanding about the complexity and thinking about the country and the things we've done right and the mistakes we've made. Like why, why does it have to be about this woman, Deborah Burlingame, convincing everyone who goes to the doors of this place that all Muslims are out to get you. Yeah, well, since I have cousins that are Muslim and cousins that are Jewish, it's, it's kind of hard to swallow. You know, all the way. Yeah. If, if they can live together and come to a family reunion and not kill each other, why the hell can't the rest of us get along? Um, so, I agree so, with you there. But you also so, walk into the Holocaust Museum, and that's not an uplift. I mean, I think you come out of the Holocaust Museum and you go, wow, this is how do we prevent it? And there were people who fought nobly against it. And but you see that and it's not exactly, you know, it, it's no, but 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 you don't come out and say I'm not buying a BMW. No, well, that's true. No, you don't come out and say all Germans are bad people. No, true. true. And, and by the way, and it could have been that museum, right? You could have said all Germans, no matter how many years later, we you know, are all bad people and we're angry at the Germans. And that's just, I mean, nobody feels that 
Nazi equals Germans. But everyone at this point is being programmed to believe 9-11 equals Muslims. And that I think is the result of the museum and, and its purposeful strategy to control how people tell that story. That's a very salient point. And, and, and fixable, you know, I mean, we can learn, we can get smarter. I mean, you know, the, the, the museum does, the, there is no reason why they get to define history narrowly as one day where a bad thing happened. So, well, one day it's, where, it's yeah, one day where a bad thing happened and uh, every brown person who's Muslim is behind it. Yeah. Um, so let me kind of see if I can bring things back full circle. Um, I think that New York is the white hot center of journalism, you know, book publishing, magazine, news scholarship there's all these great smart people here all of whom have been told in various ways this is a no you can't touch this subject i think you're starting to hear and you'll see some books coming out next year i think you're starting to hear people feeling like 20 years later we're not going to be browbeaten into not talking about you know i mean you and i are both well-read thoughtful people and we don't know what happened no, but what you say brings up a really another salient point. When I talked to Mark Rossini, who was in it, you know, it, up to and tried to warn people that this would happen, he says, you know, that they've been silencing that they tried to brush that under the rug for 20 years, that he can't, that he would love it if people were able to take a good, better focused, you know, look at, at 911 and uh, what and happened. I, and I think. But the government's afraid also because it will show that I don't think there's, I'm going to be honest, I don't believe in conspiracies either. I believe what happened was we screwed up and we don't want anybody to know how badly we screwed up. And look, there's a lawsuit going on right now. A bunch of the families are still suing the, the Saudi government. And eventually that will settle. And it will settle without any admission of wrongdoing. And no, just a passage huge... of funds. Yeah. <laughs> To, to elderly, sad people who lost people. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think your point about, about Yashogi is as good, you know, I mean, th this, whatever our relationship is with the Saudi government, um, and I don't think it's just money and power. I think it's also oil. I well, mean, yeah, that is money and power. <laughs> the oil's behind the money and the power. Remember, remember the gas shortage in the 70s? Sure do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you turn you turn off people's lights, they pay attention really damn quick. Yeah. That, why do you think there's suddenly a renewed interest in uh, alternative means of uh, <laughs> conveyance yeah. in this country? Um, <laughs> Hell, we're going nuts right now because gas went up. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the film the film the film's website is theoutsider.film. Um, all of the places you can watch the film are there. Um, all of the press huge i mean i've never been involved in anything that's been covered more relentlessly than the film i mean i have 80 pages of press clippings um and wow. and after alice you know got fired or retired whichever it was you know my phone rang off the hook on friday from people who are now want to understand what the process will be to have her replacement chosen um and i don't think it's going to be done in secrecy i don't think there's going to be any room for that yeah i don't you're right well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take another short break. We'll come back for some final thoughts.
In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Asked the Question. With me is Steve Rosenbaum, uh, uh, you know, uh, Broadcast News New York. <laughs> back in the day. Back in the day. But he is the um, uh, co-director of the film The Outsider, and the film is Outsider. Uh, go ahead. It's Outsider.film. Dot, dot film. Yep. Yeah. The, the, the Outsider. Outside, the Outsider.film. Yep. And um, what do you And think? by the way, I, yeah, I mean, I think what I would just say this like it's a, the film is a journey. It's not, it's not 9-11. It's about this character and he's a fascinating view and you'll have strong feelings about it at the end. Well, that's, uh, I like having strong feelings. I, I don't like walking out of a movie going, what did I just waste two hours on? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that will not be the case here. What would you like um, to see you know, 20 years from now in regards to how we approach this museum and how we approach the study of what occurred that day? So, I'm not a museum expert and I'm not a scholar. And I think that, you know, the thing about history is what makes it interesting to watch is that it's messy, right? So you take 15 really smart people and say, what happened on that day? And you get 15 different answers. And the fact that those people are being blocked from access to that information, I think has to change. I think the museum has to open its archives. I think that it can't be a closed, I think it, I don't think it should be a private institution. I don't think it should be Michael Bloomberg's private museum. I think it should be run by the Smithsonian. I think it should be open to the public. Um, and I think that will make it less simplistic in its, in its historic journey and maybe less of a tourist attraction, but you know what? You know, I don't think people getting on airplanes and flying here from overseas you know, if they want to go to the Empire State Building, sure, go to the, they want to go to Ellis Island, go to Ellis Island, go to the Statue of Liberty. But I don't think 9-11 should be on the New York three-day tourist checklist. Yeah, that's, yeah, well, Statue of Liberty, Times Square, Chin Chin's great food. Uh, <laughs> a couple of clubs where I like to drink, but uh, yeah, I don't think. But, but you know, no, nobody says you know, I've got some spare time and I want to go on a tourist trip. I'm going to go to Auschwitz. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you go there because you want to understand what happened and you want to learn about it and you want to experience it. And it's somber and important, you know, and I shouldn't say this, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a gift shop at Auschwitz, but God, I hope there is not. Well, I, I, you just open that's, that's a straight line for some really bad jokes as to what would be in that you know, and, and God, I don't even want to contemplate it. Well, there's a gift shop at the 9-11 Museum and it shouldn't be there. Oh my God, what do they sell? Trinkets. Yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine that. Oh, well, I, I won't even get started there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so I remember that day. You remember that day. You, you say you remember when you saw the, the plane pointing at, you know, turning into the yep. building. I, I wonder you know, there was that moment after everything occurred where we all came together and said, you know, Hey, this won't defeat us. 
that were united we stand divided we fall and then immediately after that we fell apart and the division in this country has never been steeper and i believe you can trace it back to that specific moment i like you i believe that that was the beginning of something at the end do you think the terrorists won those who who crashed the planes into the building do you think they made their point um you know i worry a lot about this democracy i worry a lot about donald trump's damage and i you know and i think about january 6th 15 times a day um and i think it would be a mistake to think that we're that this is just a bad moment and it's just gonna you know we're gonna get it all fixed up i think that i think the country is in terrible danger and i don't know that the terrorists imagined that they would take us here but i don't think they'd be disappointed in this outcome no i think that's i i I don't think they could imagine that they would have been as successful as they were. I, I think that that's the sad point. I, and I, I remember January 6th all too well, um, having been there and, and watching it and witnessing it and seeing those people storm the Capitol and have them threaten my life and, and watching people climb, <laughs> watching people climb the walls and I'm going, Hey idiots, there's, there's steps on either side. You don't have to, climb up those that gee, somebody's going to fall and break their neck. And someone did. I just, it, 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 it's the stupidity of it that floored me. Um, the arrogant ignorance from that moment, what occurred in nine 11 all the way to January 6th. And I just never contemplated that, you know, as the someone more famous than I said, it's it's far easier to fool someone than convince them they've been fooled, and we get fooled a lot. And and you know, it's another podcast for another day, but the drumbeat of purposefully misleading media is very loud and very compelling. And you know, and the I, government I, created it. The government created the mess that is that that's my book, by the way, Free the Press coming up in January. But, but that's the I mean, the, the, the federal government, starting with Nixon, but actually, you know, he, he was the seeds with Roger Ailes. But it was from Reagan dismantling, uh, you know, the fairness doctrine and then busting up, you know, limited ownership and then the Patriot Act and then the, 19, the uh, Telecommunications Act and then. Uh, every single president since then has dismantled the free press and then they blame us and they, there's that drumbeat. It's, you know, the press is, pro well, of course it's a problem in the press. We suck, but the government created it. You know, and I guess I just thought, now I'm, you know, I've been for most of my career, you know, labeled rightly a techno utopian. And I guess <laughs> I thought free speech open access, more people have access to tools, more people can publish net net. I thought there might be some, some messiness along the way, but that, you know, the, what, the rising tide would be of intellectual, interesting intellectual discussion. And I couldn't have imagined it being, you know, I, I don't know how you turn back the clock on that. You can't, but, you know, I, you know, you know I, um, I think I'm an optimist there with you. 
I think that what we're going through as far as, and I think you're pointing to like the internet and social media and all that. I think it's part and parcel. A part of the problem is we're growing up and we have to accept differences and we have to be, and, and I think we, I, I am, I am the ultimate uh, utopian optimist too. I, I think this leads to a better thing. I think it's horrifying and there's always a, and there's a huge chance that it'll, we'll all fall on our face and, and disintegrate in, into, you know, a dystopia that I don't want to live through. But I also think there's a great opportunity here. Um, in chaos, there is opportunity, as Sun Tzu said. So I'll go with that and think that the, that oppor- we have the opportunity here to do something great. And, but I don't think that, um, I don't think that misinformation, I don't think privatizing a, 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 a museum is the way to go. From your lips to God's ears. Listen, thank you for taking the time. And I hope your listeners will check out the film. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, there's, there's links on the website. We're happy to hear from people who disagree with the film, think we missed something, have other things that, that, you know, we're talking about what to do with this 670 hours of footage. And, you know, one of the debates we're having is maybe we just give it all away. Maybe we just put it up on the internet. Well, that's, or you could do what, uh, you know, they did with the 600 hours that turned first into let it be and now became a get back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I think we're making another movie. I think, I think, <laughs> I think we'll let somebody else do that. All yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> well, listen, Steve, it's a pleasure. I'd love to have you back sometime. And uh, it, you know, it's, it's good to see it's been too long. All right. Thank you, Brian. All righty. Take care. All and right. this is Bye-bye. just ask the question. We'll catch you next week and next time. Thanks. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast.